Welcome to the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast, the podcast that travels back into time to review classic episodes of Jim Crockett Promotions' Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling as it appears on the NBC streaming service Peacock, as well as internationally on the WWE Network. If you want to follow along with us but don't have access to Peacock or the network, you can still do so by heading over to the mighty midatlanticgateway.com and checking out David Taub's reviews of these classic shows. The Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast has social media on several platforms. By far, I'm the most active on Twitter, but we have a Facebook, Instagram page, and more. Just search at Mid-Atlantic Pod and look for the logo. We're also available on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash midatlanticpod, where you can find podcasts and other content exclusive to the page. Please subscribe, watch, and like the videos. It would be doing us a great service. And finally, like everyone else on the planet, we also have a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash midatlanticpodcast. Now, with all that out of the way, today, in episode number 51, we look at the television that was taped on Wednesday, January 12th, 1983, at the WPCQ Studios, Channel 36, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and began airing in local markets beginning that weekend of Saturday, January 15th, 1983. My name is Mike Sempervivi. I'm joined by my co-host, Roman Gomez. And before we get in to January 15th, 1983, we actually will pull back the curtain a little bit and reveal to you, it is June 10th. 2022, and Roman Gomez has just got back from sunny Florida. I I don't want to screw up the name of the convention or the details behind it, Roman, so I'll bring you on right now to talk a little bit about where you were last weekend and and who you were rubbing elbows and converting with. Yeah, I just got back from Florida a few days ago. I was at the CWF Legends Fan Fest that Barry Rose put out, and uh, I'm sure many of you guys know Barry Rose has a very popular podcast here on the Arcadian Vanguard Network, and uh, it was just a great time. Barry does a great job with the Fan Fest, very fan-friendly. Got to get my picture taken with the Mass Superstar. Actually, he put the Cobra hold on me while wearing the Mass Superstar mask. So that was kind of a mark-out moment. But uh, one of the highlights was just hanging out with the fans, you know, hanging out afterwards, hanging out beforehand in the dining area, went and caught a, a Rays game. Uh, it was just a great time. And Mike, there's several people that were at the fan fest that were also fans of our program as well. You know, Barry Rose has been well connected inside the Florida wrestling scene for decades now, you know, it really has been. And, you know, he puts these things on. They're not very large events as far as having numbers of people to come down. He usually limits it. And, it, was that the case this time around, Roman? Because I know he likes trying to keep more of a, a family type of feel to things. Yes, he, he keeps it small, but it's to the fans' benefit. Because you get to spend more time with the wrestlers. You get to talk to them and tell stories. You know, oftentimes at these fan fests, it's, you get kind of rushed through. You know, you get your autograph, and then it's next, next, and here. It's like he wants you to mingle with the wrestlers. He wants you to talk to them. The other fans are very understanding. So if somebody's in line talking to one of the wrestlers they wanted to meet for five minutes. Nobody's getting frustrated. Nobody's getting pissed off. Everybody's there happy. It is just, it is really a great time. And if anybody out there is on the fence on whether they should go or shouldn't, let me tell you that I saw so many people after the last one immediately post, they couldn't wait till the next one. Now that I've gone to one, 
I'm one of those guys. I can't wait till the next one. And I'm going to do everything I can to go to the next one in November. Did you have a chance to see anybody for the first time? I know you've been to a number of conventions and obviously you live in Las Vegas, so you get to more access than some people do to a lot of people that kind of come through town. But when you travel to different places, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people. I know you've seen Bill Eady, the mass superstar before. Was there anybody you had a chance to see for the first time this weekend? Uh, Leilani Kai was the only one I had never met, but, uh, you know, I was able to go down there, able to hang out with my brother and, and see my little niece and, uh, just hanging with the fans was the like best experience. I mean, there was about 40 of us that all went to dinner together on Saturday night. Like it really is a tight knit fraternity. If you want to call it that way, everybody looks out for each other. So somebody may say, Hey, I need a ride to the airport on Sunday. And then somebody will try to get that guy a ride or, you know, it's just really a nice tight knit uh, community fraternity, whatever you want to call it. And I cannot encourage people out there enough. If you're on the fence and you're wondering if you should do it, pull the trigger and do it. If you can afford the plane flights, which are kind of crazy right now, but if you can go down there, you are going to have a great time and you'll probably be wanting to go back again and again. Like I am. You know, and just check out Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, one of the great and most popular radio shows and podcasts here on the Arcadian Vanguard Network. It's great to listen to anyway because of the amount of history that they go through and the fun, some of the fun stuff that they talk about. But obviously, also for reasons like this, when Barry announces something so people can jump on board there. So, And I know Barry, too, and, and Roman, you're much better and more prolific on Facebook than I am. I'm more of a Twitter guy, obviously, you know, as I say at the beginning of every show here. But I know you're a lot more prolific on Facebook, and I know that's also where Barry Rose is also. You know, what's one of the, I guess he's got a Facebook group, uh, and several of them, does he not? Yes, he does. And uh, it's just neat, you know, besides wrestling, there's lots of baseball fans in there. You know, that was an added bonus. I wasn't expecting to go to Florida and catch a baseball game. And uh, people started talking about it, and I got invited and got to hang out and watch a baseball game, you know. and a big baseball junkie like me to go to another major league stadium and have fun with your buddies. I mean, just a great time all in all. Well, you're a big New York Yankee fan. And as we record this show, the Yankees are seven days ahead of the Tampa Bay, uh, former devil rays. Now just rays. Who did you have a chance to see while visiting the sun dome or whatever they call it now? It was the rays and white Sox, And I did not hide my feelings. I was rooting a, not so much for the White Sox, but against Tampa Bay. So, and uh, the beautiful thing is that there's no like loyal fan base there. So you could cheer the White Sox on all you want, not have to worry about getting jumped in the parking lot or anything, you know, because if you're a giant fan and you go to Dodger Stadium, you're putting your life on the line. But you could go to Tampa and root for whoever you wanted and nobody was going to do anything. They, they claim there was about 17,000 fans there, but I think we probably could have walked around and counted about 6,000 fans. I'll put the period at the end of this whole uh, segment by saying, as it stands right now, it's looking like a Yankees-Mets World Series. So I know that will frustrate many people out there while making people like Roman Gomez and the great Brian Last very, very happy. But we shall switch gears back into time, jump in the DeLorean, take it back to January 12th, 1983, when this show was taped at the WPCQ Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, and began airing on Saturday January 15th, as we begin Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, we have a match already taking place in the ring. Johnny Weaver against Ken Timms. 
Goes for about two minutes and 30 seconds as Bob introduces the show. Johnny Weaver gets the win with a roll-up over Tim's, and we actually then truly begin the show with Bob Cottle standing down at the podium when Mike Rotundo comes up, brand-new Mid-Atlantic Television Championship belt in hand, the Southern-style version of the belt. And just as he begins to talk, out comes the unpredictable Dick Slater, well, being unpredictable. And last week, we saw Dick Slater involved in a six-man tag team match where he just suddenly turned on his partners, Gerald Briscoe and Bob Orton Jr., laying Orton out. Well, now out came Dick Slater, and suddenly, while Mike Rotundo was standing there, Slater acted as though he was there to apologize. At ringside right now, a young man that has really come a long, long way in a short time, and it's great to welcome Mike Rotundo. Mike? Thank you very much, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here once again. You know, there's a lot of action going on in this area right now. Humperdinck's brought in some new guys, this guy named Dickie Slater. Yeah. Right here on TV, I saw him turn on Bob Orton Jr. last week. He's got one-man gang. He's bringing in guys for money to try to hurt all all of us, you know. So we just have to take care of ourselves. And I put in the TV uh, check. Wait, wait, wait just a minute, Mike. Uh, yeah. Just a little bit, man. Not out here. Not out here. Head, man. What are you doing? Dick Slater, man. Right? Just wait a minute. I'm not out here for any trouble whatsoever. I got something I'd like to explain to the people, and I don't have a lot of time to do it. If you please just. You don't have to owe me I no wanna, favors, I huh? I want to listen to anything you have to say. I saw what you did to Orton in the ring last week. I'm sorry. I saw what you did to him right there. You know, I got a lot of friends in the wrestling profession. Excuse me. I got a lot of people I've gone down the road with. And I've been this close to a lot of people in my life. You know, I come out here last week, and I will apologize right now. Bob Orton Jr., Jerry Briscoe, Rodney Piper. I said a lot of bad things, and I'm really not that kind of person. I just must have been off the wall or so, something that day. So I, I'm just, I'm just here, just, I think I'm just here because I'm just here. I think they're nuts if no, they believe sorry. that. No, no, I'm just here because I want to apologize. Huh? That's for all it's worth. For all it's worth, I just like to apologize. Okay, thank you. All right, Dick Slater with an apology, fans, and. Uh, I tell you, that sort of catches me by surprise to hear that from Dick Slater and probably does all you fans, too. By the way, we have something right here. I'm sure you're going to be interested in seeing a look at the very popular Jimmy Valiant. Let's watch him right here. <laughs> and there you hear the overdub of Jimmy Valiant's music, uh, Boy from New York City on the WWE Network, and that would be the perfect time to go ahead and cut it off there the same way that Mike Rotundo was, was initially trying to cut off Dick Slater for daring to come out there and ruin his interview time. But we got a, boy, you know, when, when people talk about Dick Slater doing the Terry Funk comparison, you know, you probably couldn't tell from the audio, but if you saw the video, number one, it was a lot more tense than it came across with just hearing the audio of Slater coming out there and Rotundo pushing him away and Slater with a a towel in his hand and muttering to himself, a sad look on his face, you know, playing the role a little bit of a uh, confused and a little bit out of it. Terry Funk there wobbling a little bit as he went out there too. surprisingly apologize to everyone, Roman, about jumping on 
Bob Orton Jr. and saying such nasty things about Roddy Piper and aligning himself with Greg Valentine and Sir Oliver Humperdinck. A, a seemingly uh, a change of face again for Dick Slater. As the crowd is chanting traitor, Dick Slater comes out and apologizes to everybody. And uh, he has the name Mr. Unpredictable for a reason. So I guess uh, we'll find out in a little bit, a little bit later about his apology. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't be right away because obviously, you know, you heard Bob introduce that video of the boogie-woogie man Jimmy Valiant, which I assume was set to the boy from New York City, probably was not son of a gypsy, although it used plenty of Memphis footage, except for the fact they did have cut in there a battle between Valiant and Joe Ledoux, where Valiant also goes after Sir Oliver Humperdinck, so they did cut that footage into that Memphis video. And after that was over, it was time for our next match, our first one from pillar to post, and it happens to feature Dick Slater facing off against future RPM Mike Davis. Match goes about five minutes, and Dick Slater remains unpredictable. Started the match with a handshake and is wrestling scientifically through the first four-fifths of this match which is not making the guy on commentary, Greg the Hammer Valentine, very happy. And Roman, Greg Valentine, in shock and in awe over Dick Slater wrestling as a babyface, wondering as to if the investment that he made into him to find an ally to fight Roddy Piper against, it's amazing uh, how, how timid Greg Valentine is on the mic here, watching Dick Slater actually pull off babyface maneuver and breaking clean. Yeah, Valentine was not happy with Slater's approach. You know, like you said, he he thought he had an ally, and much to his surprise, Slater's wrestling a scientific style, at least for part of the match. Yeah, first four minutes or so until Mike Davis ended up falling out of the ring. Dick Slater went outside, helped him back up, jumped back in the ring, held the ropes open for him, and when Davis came in, the big boot across the chest, immediately grabs Davis by the hair, yanks him across the ring, slams his head into the turnbuckle, and very soon afterwards, Dick Slater pins Mike Davis with a back suplex as both he and Greg Valentine laugh it up as as if they could ever be anything other than the dirty heels that they are. So we're going to hear more from them a little bit later on, on on how they fooled everybody, at least for the moment. But before we do that, We have some other guys that have been fooled recently. The World Tag Team Champions, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cronoodle. And we're going to hear from them right now. There's the World Tag Team Champions right here. Sergeant Slaughter, Don Cronoodle, and Don Cronoodle. See, you got the pieces of a coat in your hand at Rick Steamboat. He really pulled the wool over your eyes last week. Let me tell you, nobody embarrasses me on national TV. Nobody embarrasses Sergeant Slaughter on national TV. And Steamboat... I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to Youngblood. Nobody does that, and you're going to pay, and you're going to pay dearly. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you got so much guts, why don't you just come right out here right now when Sergeant Slaughter is standing here with me, and we'll put the Cobra Clutch on you, and we'll finish you off right here, right now. I'm sick and tired of this. Tell him about it, Sarge. Well, you know, I don't know how to this day how he got that coat out of the locker room. Somebody must have gave him that coat. I don't know who it was. But let me tell you, Ricky Steve and Jay Youngblood, like Don says, if you want to fight us, come out here right now. We'll give you a match right now. We don't care where, 
when or how, but you don't go ripping up a man's personal property. I paid $300 for this coat, and it's all that shreds right now. You, you had ripped up his shirt before. You say you don't his go ripping up His stuff was garbage. Property. That was garbage. This is a great coat. This was made in Atlanta. Barnett's Apparel. That's where it was made. That's the biggest place in the United States for clothing. But let me tell you, Steve and Youngblood, if you're not here today, you get ready to watch this tape because we're going to make an example for you right here on television right now. I'd like to say not only are you going to pay, but every team we wrestle is going to pay for this right now. All right, fans, the World Tag Team Champions, Sergeant Slaughter, Don Cronodal, and they're still irate. We're going to watch them in action. Let's go to the ring right now. Sergeant Slaughter, Don Cronodal in tag team action against Tony Gilbert and Vinny Valentino. Ah, the infamous Barnett's of Atlanta, Barnett's Apparel, where Sergeant Slaughter helped pay $300 for Don Cronodal's suit jacket, which he ripped up himself when he was fooled by Ricky Steamboat last week, Roman. And unfortunately, we will not get to see Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood in action this week. We will hear from them a little bit later on as their mind games continue against the Sarge and Don Carnoodle. Funny how Coddle would kind of take a jab at Slaughter, you know, like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know. Well, you ripped up his shirt, so you had it coming, but you know, Steamboat himself even said the shirt was only like seven or eight bucks, where the jacket that Carnoodle had was close to $300, according to Slaughter. Yeah, say their stuff was garbage. You know, we did a, the world of benefit <laughs> tearing that up and getting rid of it. But when it comes to the Carnoodle sports jacket, well, that's a complete different story. But you did hear Big D say that the other teams were going to pay. And the first one on the list, Tommy Gilbert and Vinny Valentino, because, well, they were next. Those guys jumped in the ring and. Match went about six and a half minutes, completely one-sided and dominant. Obviously, Tommy Gilbert got in a little bit more offense on Vinny Valentino, but it was Valentino, Roman, who ended up taking the fall. Yeah, and the World Tag Team Champions just, just dominated this match. You know, it was uh, no surprise who who would win, and uh, Slaughter came off the top rope with the clothesline, and that was all she wrote. Up next was the one-man gang body slam challenge as Sir Oliver Humperdinck is offering up $5,000 for anybody that can slam his man. And now that they've run Jimmy Valiant out of the area, at least so says Sir Oliver Humperdinck, uh, he's looking for some competition for his big man here, Roman. And I didn't bother to cut any of the tape of this because, well, the overdub that happens later on when Jimmy Valiant comes out pretty much ruins everything here. But there were three guys in the ring. Iceman, or the future Iceman, King Parsons, Private Nelson, which was kind of random that he would be out there trying to slam another heel wrestler, but this was about earning some quick cash, and Dizzy Hogan, future Brutus the Barber Beefcake, also up from Florida, also having a history with Humperdinck and with many of the guys that are are in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling right now, but that was the, the hot lineup in the ring, and all those guys failed, which, of course, brought out the boogie-woogie man. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of funny when Humperdinck said that he offered $5,000 so he can get the rats to come out of their hole. I thought that was kind of a funny line. And uh, Nelson did something I thought was was good, was that when he tried to lift the one-man gang, he was unsuccessful, but then he kind of clutched his lower back, you know, like 
he hurt his back trying to lift up the behemoth one-man gang. And, you know, Dizzy Hogan actually got him up off the ground for a little bit, you know, and not any danger of actually slamming him, but he was able to get him elevated. And then the overdub music of Jimmy Valiant played. He comes out, and one-man gang made a retreat back to the locker room. Yeah, everybody uh, went ahead and bailed there. Jimmy got a chance to dance around, and it would not be the last we would see of the boogie-woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. But next, it was time for interviews. And a guy that, you know, everybody's throwing around money right now. You know, we, we got bounties on, on Rowdy Piper. We have Sir Oliver Humperdinck, you know, offering cash. Uh, if you're watching WTVS on the same day, Ric Flair has got a $5,000 challenge that Butch Reed will be accepting at the Omni uh, not too long of a period of time. So there's money being thrown about everywhere here. And the guy that originated that in the area was Dory Funk Jr. And is, uh, if, if everybody remembers, and maybe they don't, $100,000 challenge that Dory Funk Jr. had going on if anybody could defeat him within 10 minutes. The last person uh, to do that that we had talked about was uh, Sweet Brown Sugar with matches against Ernie Shavers as the referee over the holidays. But ever since that has happened, we have not heard much from Dory Funk Jr. He's been involved with Dick Slater coming back. He's got his buddy Red Dog Lane there. But here on this interview, we hear him talk about the $100,000 as well as hearing from Greg Valentine and Dick Slater. Fans right here, Dory Funk Jr. Dory, a lot going on. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of money involved in professional oh, yeah. wrestling here in this area. We just, just saw Oliver Humperdinck out here with $5,000 to anybody who can slam his man. I've got the biggest prize of all up, $100,000 right. to anybody who can pin my shoulders, and the time limit is extended to 30 minutes. Now, I'm picking a direction. You've gone to 30 minutes the from 10 minutes. The time limit is extended to 30 minutes, and I'm picking a direction. I'm looking for the champions, and mainly the champion that I'm looking for that I want to see in the ring. I don't care if I have to put the money up or if I want what he's got, and that's Jack Briscoe. I'm picking a direction, and I'm coming right after Jack Briscoe. Uh, all right, fans. Dory Funk Jr. says he's coming right after. Greg Valentine right here and Dick Slater. Greg, Dick, Dick, I tell you, for a moment you had me fool there. More longer than a moment. Well, I thought uh, really you had changed. What? That you were sorry for what you did last Are week. You, you came. Yeah, you came out and oh, said. Oh, I'm real sorry. I'm real, real, real sorry. You know what a bunch of fools. You know, I bet you that kid feels like he's a south <laughs> end of a northbound mule. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something right now. You never know when I'm serious or not. And Greg, I guarantee you. Did you think I was changed, man? Huh? Not really, not really. No, 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 I've known Dick Slater for a long time. I am a nasty individual, but I am one heck of a wrestler. I am world championship material, my friends. And when you see me, you're seeing the best. And when you see us together, you are seeing the best. Because when I get in the ring from here on out, Piper, Orton, Briscoe, name them, I don't care. My friend, you have to deal with me, and I am unpredictable, and only I know that. So when you get in the ring the next time, <laughs> I wonder what they expect next, huh? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, the people what are going to see Valentine, and they are going to see Slater together. We are a phenomenal tag team, mean, vicious, and hungry. You right, understand? Fans, that's it, right what here. What a bunch of fools. What a bunch of fools, huh? What a bunch of fools. A bunch of fools you were to believe that Dick Slater could ever change. Really good promos, and you know what? I don't think, I really don't think that the the audio 
does it enough justice. If this is another set of videos that you got to see, just because Greg Valentine, when looking at Slater, when Slater asks him, did you really think that, that, that I would change? Do you really think I would, you know, turn my back on you and go back over to the good side? And you hear Bob Cottle go, oh, Greg, come on. But the look on Valentine's face was classic and really good tension between those two. And that was followed or or that followed up Dory Funk Jr.'s promo, which I thought was very solid, Roman. And of course, continues the lifelong legendary feud between him and Jack Briscoe. Yes. And, you know, the. The thing with the Slater, uh, to me, every, everything seems so rushed. You know, he apologizes. Uh, you're supposed to believe he's sincere. And then within 20 minutes later, it, w- it was a ruse. And I don't think there was enough time to really get that story over. I don't think anybody really bought his apology early on in the, in the program. Well, I, I wonder if that was set up to be that way, knowing that people weren't going to accept it and knowing that Dick Slater was just an excuse for well, him to be unpredictable and beat up on Mike Davis a little bit before getting back to really why he is there, which is to be a thorn in the side of Roddy Piper, which he will be (laughs) as we go throughout 1983 and into 1984. But that interview turned into our next match where the Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant made another appearance alongside the television champion Mike Rotundo and Bob Orton Jr. is back after a week against Private Nelson, Bill White, and Ricky Harris, the future Black Bart. And Nelson, as you mentioned, Roman, still was selling his back from the Body Slam Challenge, and not a whole lot to say about this match. It went about three and a half minutes. The baby faces all shined. Probably the most work was actually done on top of the head of Bill White, probably out of any of the bad guys. But ultimately, it's Ricky Harris who takes the fall. Yeah, and it it shows that... uh... Jim Nelson has fallen down quite a few rungs on the totem pole, so to speak. You know, he's involved in the body slam challenge and then here in a six man. I mean, this is a guy that was not too long ago that was with Carnoodle, with Slaughter, part of the privates. And now he's having to take a, a back seat. And yeah, very short match, uh, a good showcase match for the baby faces. And uh, Jimmy Valiant had the shake, rattle and roll tights long before the honky-tonk man did as he was wearing those in this match and uh three formidable opponents for the baby faces but of course the baby faces came out on top then it was time for an interview with the boogie woogie man mike rotundo and bob orton jr except on the wwe network we would only get two of the three and considering that rotundo and, and orton uh didn't have uh the the theme music that jimmy valiant does uh that that's why it's them we'll go ahead and play that for you right now all right, fans, and with us right now at ringside, Mike Rotundo, Bob Orton Jr., and Jimmy Van. Hey, man, I tell you, six-man action up there. That's fast and furious, Mike. Sure is, Bob. With guys like you, Bob Orton Jr., boogie-woogie, man, what do you expect? Oh, I tell you. It's not going to be the, nothing the less than The pace goes, Bob. I tell you, tremendous match. Oh, thank you very much. It's easy, you know, following the boogie-woogie, man, sort of gets the adrenaline flow when you want to move, you want to do something. TV champion right here just yeah. showed everybody that airplane spin's going to beat you, boy. That airplane spin's going to beat you, Dickie Slater. <laughs> you think you fooled somebody. What are you talking about, man? Greg Valentine, you think you fooled somebody. You two guys took advantage of a man named Mike Davis. Hey, taking nothing away from Davis. Anybody can be fooled. I was once. But it's not going to happen again, Slater. And Valentine, 
I'll tell you the same thing. There's something else I'd like to do is apologize for something I said on TV last week, but I want to tell you something. If I was going to stick the tail on the donkey, I'd put the pin right in the middle of your forehead, Slater. And there we hear from two-thirds of the winners of the previous match, Mike Rotundo and Bob Orton Jr., who is still looking for revenge on Dick Slater, completely admits, much like Mike Davis, he made a mistake in trusting Dick Slater, but he's only going to make the mistake one time, and he's going to be going after him. I thought, like, you know, for Bob Orton Jr., again, Roman, who we've talked about on the show, who was always overshadowed everywhere else that he went in his teams because he was with a Slater, or he was with a Morocco, or he was with a Piper, or he was with whoever it was, we forget about how good he actually ended up being on the microphone. Yes, and uh, oftentimes, you know, he gets credited for being a great technical wrestler, and rightfully so, but he did have his moments on the mic where he was very good as well. It was then time for our main event, And this one actually is a a legitimate main event. You hear that? Well, it could be a main event anywhere in the the country. Here's a situation where it's actually kind of true with Jerry Briscoe and Sweet Brown Sugar at that point in their careers against Dory Funk Jr. and Dick Slater. I mean, okay, maybe not anywhere in the country, but certainly anywhere in Florida, Roman, anywhere in the Southeast, uh, a good TV match to end things. Originally, it was supposed to be Red Dog Lane, and he got injured, so... We get the impromptu of a match of Slater coming in to join Dory, which I always like the impromptu. When done right, I think that just creates a little bit more excitement. You feel like you're getting a little more bang for your buck, so to speak. Absolutely. And we got a little bit of drama to open because as we came back from break, Stu Schwartz, uh, who was the referee for the day, was trying to get some order involved because we see Dory Funk Jr. in the ring. We see the baby faces up there. And then we cut to a shot of Red Dog Lane out there holding his leg. And Bob Cottle explains what happened. We had a whole Donnie Brook before the bell. Jerry Briscoe ended up getting the figure four on Red Dog Lane. He's hurt laying outside the ring. So Dory Funk Jr. is actually now going to take on both men. We got a two-on-one babyface advantage with Dory Funk Jr. And that begins, and he and Jerry Briscoe are going at it when Dick Slater comes out and begins to check on Red Dog Lane's condition. Seeing that out of the corner of his eye, Dory Funk Jr. goes ahead, and when he's got a chance to get the advantage, he takes Jerry Briscoe, throws him outside the ring, on top of Dick Slater, which of course is going to piss off Dick Slater, who takes a shove at Briscoe, who starts swinging on Slater, and just like that, we got Dick Slater jumping up on the ring apron, he takes the place of Red Dog Lane, Stu Schwartz allows it, And now we got the rest of our match. And the whole thing goes about five minutes. And we can have five-minute matches that feel like they go 15. Roman, this was a five-minute match that feels like it went like two because of the talent involved and the fact you just wanted to see more out of all of them. Oh, exactly. It was like a little mini all-star team, if you want to call it that. You know, both sides had good wrestlers. And you had mentioned earlier on about Slater sounding or mimicking funk and in this match, you can see he sells like Funk. You know, I, I've often thought of Slater as kind of a right-handed Terry Funk. You know, he does the same kind of thing in the ring where he staggers, you know, and he puts his fist up and very reminiscent of Terry Funk, how he sold in this match, which is ironic because he was teaming with his brother Dory in this contest. Yeah, Terry Funk, Terry Funk Jr. 
son of Terry Funk, pale imitation, poor imitation for those people who don't like Dick Slater of Terry Funk, but they will always be joined at the hip. And, you know, that again, that Rock'em, you know, the cartoonish style of selling that Slater and Funk and Dick Murdoch were able to do, you know, Slater was just, he, he was one of the classics at it, and we see a bunch of it going on here in this match, especially when he's on the ropes against Sweet Brown Sugar. But ultimately what happens is Briscoe rolls Funk up, but the referee is, is pushing Sugar out of the ring. And when that happens, Dick Slater, of course, sees that and tips the men over. So it, it, it's actually Funk who's pinning Jack Briscoe. But then the referee's got to get Slater out of the ring. So Sweet Brown Sugar, Skip Young, comes over and reverses it again. And he goes out of the ring. And we've got Stu Schwartz actually slowed up a little bit because he should have turned around a lot quicker because they had to hold this thing a little bit too long. But ultimately, the pin is finally made. Jerry Briscoe gets the victory over Dory Funk Jr., which, hey, Dory Funk Jr. challenged Jack earlier on. Jerry has proven now he can beat Dory Funk Jr. I'm sure that is going to play further into their story. But after a little fisticuffs, and after Sweet Brown Sugar was dumped onto the floor, miraculously, Red Dog Lane is able to jump up and get back in the ring. Now, I shouldn't throw any uh, shade at Red Dog because at least he was still selling his leg when he got in the ring and, and, and provided only a little bit of offense as all three men jumped on Jerry Briscoe. But that's enough of me talking about it here. Let me actually go ahead and play the finish for you, and then we'll get more of Roman's thoughts when we get back. All four in the ring. Here's Funk over the ropes. Briscoe goes down. They both go down. And Slater, we got three on the mat at one time. Here's Sugar back in with a headbutt again on Slater. Briscoe's got, he's got Funk in that small package, and Slater's going to roll him over. He had him pinned, and here's Sugar back to roll him over again. Briscoe still holds him there. The referee with his back turned. Two, three. He held him there for ever so long. He got Buck in that package and held him right there. Now, here's Briscoe and Sugar being attacked by Slater and by Funk. And here comes Red Dog Lane in. Well, he's still limping around some on that leg, but all three of them now are on Briscoe. Slater and Funk have got Briscoe down. Brown Sugar back. Red Dog Lane goes out. Now here goes Dory Funk and Dick Slater as Sugar came in to give Jerry Briscoe some assistance. Briscoe rolling up Dory Funk. Pinning him for the count of three. And there's the arms raised of your winners. And there we hear the end of that match. Dory Funk Jr., Dick Slater on the losing end against Gerald Briscoe and Sweet Brown Sugar and Roman. What did what did you think about the match here? The the stories that now come from it with Gerald defeating uh, Dory Funk Jr. and and obviously Slater and the post match attack and and pouring it on uh, Briscoe here. What do you think about the whole deal? Oh, this was a good match, and like you had mentioned, this is one that I would have had no problem if it went longer. You know, I, I easily could have sat through ten twelve minutes of this instead of the five we got and. Uh, you know, they took down a little bit of a roller coaster. You think the heels are going to win, and, you know, they're doing stuff behind the ref's back, and then the baby faces reverse it, and uh, it was exciting. It was a good match, and 
Sweet Brown Sugar, author of, without a doubt, one of the best drop kicks you will ever see. He did a standing drop kick in there that was just beautiful, and uh, it was a good match. And the heels were able to keep their heat by turning, or not turning, but, you know, jumping Briscoe and after the contest and everything and add a little more excitement. And this was, this was basically a good way to end the show. I mean, I know there's a couple promos after this, but it was a good main event match to end the show, I should say. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's crazy. When we started doing this podcast, we started the reviews of the television in January of 1983. And the Georgia feeling that is there because Ole Anderson and Stan Hansen, and you go down that list of names, and here we are to begin 1983, and while we still have Roddy Piper and Sergeant Slaughter and Ricky Steamboat and so many men, Jimmy Valiant, who are so integral and tied into the history of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, you know, the rest of this show, whether it be One Man Gang, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, Mike Rotundo, Dick Slater, Dory Funk Jr., Sweet Brown Sugar, Bob Orton Jr., you know, Gerald Briscoe, Jack Briscoe, even though they're a little bit of a different story. The Florida takeover here that Dory Funk Jr. was instituting, it certainly is complete now, isn't it? Yes, lots of talent in from the Florida area, and uh, it was excitement. It was excitement seeing a lot of these guys, and, uh, you know, we, we can look back since we've done the podcast about the wrestlers that have left the mid-Atlantic area, but then we can also sing the praises of those that have come in and those that will continue to come in as the mid-Atlantic was definitely a hotbed. And distinctly mid-Atlantic, Ricky Steamboat, Jay Youngblood, the legendary babyface team. And I mentioned earlier on we would be hearing from them, and we do via an interview off of the worldwide wrestling set where Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat continue to play head games with Slaughter and Kernoodle. You know, Rick... Couldn't help, but I would stand out here hearing Don Knoodle ramp and rave about what happened to him on nationwide television. Ricky Steamboat humiliating him by tearing up his coat. Well, Knoodle, if I'm not mistaken, I think you're the one that tore your own coat up. That's because you blew your head right here. You had so much on your mind, so much hate for this man right here and this one right here, that you took it upon yourself to just get Rick's, get your hands on Rick and just start ripping. Well, Rick... You pulled a good one on him, brother, and I think we got the title turned now. You know something, Jason? Like we had said earlier that we were going to get even with him, and I told you specifically, Don Kernoodle, that I was going to get even with you just for tearing up my little video T-shirt that was worth about $7. But somebody to get on TV and not realize that they're tearing up their own $300 coat. Don Kernoodle, we've got your mind. Sergeant Slaughter, we're working on yours right here and now. The next thing we want is those belts. All right, fans, with us at ringside right now, Bob Orton, Jr. Bob, it continues to go on. Jerry Briscoe, a friend of yours, triple teamed up there just a moment ago by Dick Slater, Red Dog Lane, and Dory Funk, Jr. as they really began to work him with three against one. What do you mean, triple teamed? I know that Slater come out of here earlier with some cockamamie story about trying to be a nice guy. Didn't fool anybody except one individual. You can always get fooled one. To- what are you talking about? They triple teamed Red Jerry Briscoe. Lane, Red Dog Lane. I don't know whether he was Jimmy faking Valiant any injury was in or what, but but in it, and Dick Slater came in to sub. And it just goes to show it, you. Know. It just goes to show you the man's sick. He has no brains whatsoever. Well, I want to tell you something, Slater. We know exactly where we stand right now, brother. You and me and Jerry Briscoe. 
go back a long, long ways. And I want to tell you something else, brother. I have always been your better man, and you know it. That's a, that's one thing that's eating him right now. He's been jealous of my success. Dickie Slater running around, playing that playboy, that tough guy, the sicko. I want to tell you something, brother. When Jerry Briscoe or myself get in the ring with you, get ready for a battle. And Valentine, I haven't forgot that United States title yet. All right, fans, and that'll do it. Well, Roman, let's take last things first. Bob Orton Jr. came on there after Steamboat and Youngblood to talk about what went down at the end of that match, and and it was news to him as Bob had to tell him what went down. As apparently him and Jimmy Valiant were back there showering. I don't I don't know about together, but uh, they 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 were they were getting themselves uh, all finished up and and ready to go on to the next town. So they were not privy to the fact that. All three men jumped on Gerald Briscoe, but more treachery coming from Dick Slater that Bob Orton Jr. wants to try to end. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird how Orton got caught off guard like that. You know, I figured it would have been a little more effective if he said something to the effect, hey, we saw it on the monitors in the back or something. I thought that was just kind of weird how Cottle almost like dropped a bombshell on him. It's, It's like maybe say like, you know, did somebody say it on the way out there? It's like who just said, hey. You're ready for your interview, and man, you, you wouldn't have wanted to care what happened there. You, you missed nothing, Bob, that's got anything to do with you. Just another baby face, a friend of yours getting jumped. You know, somebody should have brought some urgency to him and said, hey, you know, before you, hey, I don't know if you saw this or not, but where were you? You know, the, Gerald Briscoe just got stomped. Uh, that didn't end or, up happening. Or, yeah, or maybe even show the video of it happening, you know, have Orton watching it on the monitor like, Bob, did you see what happened? Or you know, or something, and he could have commented about it. But, yeah, it just kind of seemed like they caught him off guard with that interview. Yeah, we're probably picking nits there, but that's, hey, that's what we can do. You know, those hindsight glasses are twenty twenty, and, and we're wearing them right now. And you, you don't have to to wear twenty twenty hindsight glasses to know that Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood against Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cronoodle was special and legendary. You knew it in real time. And once again, we have another installment into the head games being played between both teams. The heels had the advantage for quite some time, but now they cannot figure out how in the world Steamboat got his hands on that suit jacket, how Youngblood, where was he, how was he able to do it? Something's got to be going on here. And obviously now Ricky Steamboat, Jay Youngblood, from the sounds of that interview, they are feeling really confident right now. And Mike and I are not going to spoil it for people, even though it happened a gazillion years ago. But we'll tell you about it when it does happen. We'll tell you how uh, Steamboat and Youngblood had a little little, uh, little tip or in, uh, inside information, so to speak, on uh, how to handle Slaughter and Carnoodle. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I kind of now hearken back to the, those words that Sir Oliver Humperdinck had about throwing the money out there and, and the rats, you know, trying to come out of the hole, trying to bait them out of the hole. You know, de- very... Very funny, funny thing there. You know, funny tie-in that in my mind is is now always going to be there after seeing some of those men line up uh, for that body slam challenge. But we've now reached the end of this episode of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast, number 51. Yes, we still have arena results to go. We still have results from worldwide wrestling to go as well, too, Roman. But we've reached the end of the telecast, as you heard Bob Cottle on the way out there thanking everybody for their time. And what did you think about your time spent here uh, talking about this show and anything else you want to touch on that took place on this week's Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling? 
Well, I was just thinking at that time, the Mid-Atlantic would have been a great place to work because I don't know what the average salary was, but it seemed like there were all kinds of ways to make extra money. You know, you can body slam one man gang and pick up a couple extra bucks and, you know, go 30 minutes with Dory Funk, pick up, pick up a hundred thousand dollars there. And it just seems like everybody had all kinds of money to throw around in the Mid-Atlantic area. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, hey, again, I just mentioned uh, Ric Flair with the, the $5,000 that some people with cable TV would see on WTBS tonight with him bragging about a $5,000 challenge for anybody that can get in there and defeat him. And that could lead to a world championship title match, which, as I mentioned, Butch Reed would be doing on about, oh, I don't know, January 23rd or so at the Omni. They had a, a great little feud in at the end of 82 and into 83 in both Florida and in Georgia. So Ric Flair still being the heel that he is everywhere else, but I have a feeling when he gets back to the Mid-Atlantic area, that feeling will will change a little bit. Roman, I want to thank you very much for joining me today on Worldwide Wrestling. Those folks were a little bit luckier than we were, if you're a big fan of Steamboat and Youngblood, as they saw them defeat Larry Lane and Ken Timms. Also, Dory Funk Jr., Dick Slater, and Greg Valentine knocked off King Parsons, Tommy Gilbert, and Vinny Valentino. Mike Rotundo defeated Rick Harris. Bob Orton Jr. defeated Bill White. And Johnny Weaver and Sweet Brown Sugar defeated Jim Dalton and Masafuchi. And now you know what time it is. Let's take time for this commercial message about the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling events coming up in your area. We begin a day after the tapings, Thursday, January 13th, 1983, at the high school in York, South Carolina. Top matches were Jack Briscoe against Greg Valentine, Jimmy Valiant, Bob Orton Jr., and Jay Youngblood against Joe LaDuke, Paul Jones, and the One Man Gang and Sweet Brown Sugar against Dick Slater. The next night, Friday, January 14th, Charleston County Hall, one-man gang defeated Tommy Gilbert, Dory Funk Jr. defeated Mike Rotundo, and Roddy Piper defeated Greg Valentine. January 15th, Spartanburg's Memorial Auditorium. Top matches, the Briscoe Brothers and Bob Orton Jr. defeated Greg Valentine, Dick Slater, and the one-man gang. Dory Funk Jr. went to a draw with Sweet Brown Sugar, and Johnny Weaver and Mike Davis defeated Gene Anderson and Bill White. Also on Saturday, January 15th, Dobbins Bennett Dome in Kingsport. Mike Rotundo worked twice, defeating Private Jim Nelson and then Paul Jones by disqualification. And Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle defeated King Parsons and Porkchop Cash, who were substituting for Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. There were three shows on Sunday, January 16th, according to the Clawmasters archives, and these are some interesting results as Hampton, Virginia, six-plus hours away from these other cities, but here it goes. Asheville Simic Center, top matches. Jack Briscoe defeated Paul Jones. Greg Valentine and Dick Slater defeated Bob Orton Jr. and Jerry Briscoe. And Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle by countout. At the Columbia Township Auditorium, the top matches were Jimmy Valiant defeating the one-man gang, Dick Slater defeating Bob Orton Jr., Jack Briscoe defeating Dory Funk Jr., and Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood defeating Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle by disqualification. And finally, at the Hampton Coliseum, top matches, Jimmy Valiant defeated the one-man gang, Dory Funk Jr. defeated Jack Briscoe, and Greg Valentine defeated Bob Orton Jr. The next night, on Monday, January 17th, very small town, Iva, South Carolina, which is south of Anderson, South Carolina, and east of the Savannah River across from Georgia, Ricky Steamboat defeated Greg Valentine. Jerry Briscoe defeated Sergeant Slaughter by disqualification. 
and Johnny Weaver and Tommy Gilbert defeated Larry Lane and Gene Anderson. Also on Monday, January 17th in Lumberton, North Carolina at the Rec Center, Jack Briscoe faced off against Dory Funk Jr., and Jimmy Valiant and Paul Jones faced Sweet Brown Sugar in the one-man gang. Tuesday, January 18th at the John Graham Middle School in Warrington, North Carolina, Roddy Piper was to face Greg Valentine, Ricky Steamboat against Sergeant Slaughter, and the Briscoe Brothers and Bob Orton Jr. against Dory Funk Jr., Private Nelson, and Dick Slayer. Also on Tuesday, January 18th, at the Cullenton County Recreational Center in Walterboro, South Carolina, Jay Youngblood against Don Cranoodle, Jimmy Valiant against Joe LaDuke, and Sweet Brown Sugar against Paul Jones. And that takes us back around to Wednesday, January 19th, 1983, at the WPCQ Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. Here's the WWE Network preview for next week. January 22nd, 1983, Mike Rotundo defends the Mid-Atlantic TV title, and Greg Valentine sends a message to Roddy Piper. As I mentioned earlier on, I invite you to follow us across our many forms of social media, Instagram, Facebook, but especially on Twitter, where we are the most active and interactive. Just search at MidAtlanticPod. We would also really appreciate you following us on YouTube, youtube.com slash midatlanticpod. And consider supporting the show via Patreon. Just search at Patreon slash midatlanticpodcast. I also invite you to support all of the programs and content here on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We don't condescend, and we are dedicated to preserving and accurately archiving the history of professional wrestling. And I'm proud that this show, produced by me, can be a part of that. For Roman Gomez, I'm Mike Sempervivi. Take us home, Bob DeBartolavin and Uncle Bob Cottle. Fans, that'll do it for this week. Until next week, so long for now. Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling has been furnished to this station for broadcast at this time by Jim Crockett Promotions in exchange for commercial consideration.